0: All right. That's great. Amen. I can I can feel that excitement about Spanish Church. That's great. I feel the same way. It's 2 weeks from today and it's going to be great. Of course, we're going to have Easter as well, the same day, and uh, not. I mean, we're not having Easter. It is Easter, so uh, it's going to be awesome. Hey, I want to do something real quick. Okay, I, I want our our connection group leaders. If you are leading a connection group, I want you guys to come up here real quick. Okay, and we're going to do a little exercise today. Okay, because our church is notoriously the worst church at signing up for stuff ever. So I'm going to make this. Uh, uh, th- this is going to be so awesome. You got. Th- you have three ways to do this. Okay, so so two ways can be done on your phone. Okay, so everybody can get their phone out. You can even do that right now. Just get your phone out. And there's two ways on your phone to do this. There's either the Church Center app, which I'm sure by now everybody has downloaded the Church Center app. And if not, a Glennis right here, this Glennis right here. She will be right back there at the Next Step station again to help you get the Church Center app. The easiest way to get signed up for a group is to go to the Church Center app. At the bottom it says Groups, and it will say Find a Group, okay, and it will show you the different options. I wanted to put these people in front of you in case there's somebody you like better than somebody else, and you can say, well, hey, that's going to work. And so, um, and and and, and this will help you, it'll help you also know a little bit about where some of them are, so that you can say, you know what, that's close to my house, or that's that's close to here, or, or I just, man, I'd like to get to know them a little bit. All the groups are going to be diverse, all the groups are going to have some uh, couples, maybe some singles, but I wanted to just kind of give them to you real quick. So if you see somebody you like, if you see somebody you feel sorry for, Oh, never mind. Uh, You can can just say, yeah, I want to go to that group. So let me start out here. This is Brian. His wife is Julie. And uh, this is, what, two of their their five boys, okay? This is the Hoffman Connection group. It is in East Arlington, kind of out Monument Road a little bit, I think, somewhere right out there. Uh, That's the group there. They meet on Wednesday nights in their home. This is Rodriguez. This is our Spanish pastor. Amen. And so... Now, this is not a Spanish group. Don't get confused, okay? If you go to this group, it will be in Anglais. But so, for now, okay? Now, this group is over in East Arlington, also right off of Mill Creek Road uh, down by the old... uh, where, uh, what's that school, GOCA, Global Outreach Charter Academy, over in that area. So if you live over in East Arlington, down near Lone Star Road, this would be a good one for you. This is Glennis. I'm not gonna smack you on the shoulder. Uh, this is Glennis and her husband, Brad. Brad's an airline pilot, many of you have met Brad. Great family. They actually are gonna have their small group at church every Sunday after church. And this is the thing I love about this group. They're going to have actually lunch together every week and fellowship and then go right into a Bible study. So that's going to be on campus on Sundays every week. This is Aaron. Aaron Fisher, his wife Anna and they have three children uh, also. They're teenagers and and they are down in the Mandarin San Jose area. So if you live down uh, Mandarin, Southside area, this might be the closest one to you. That's the Fisher Connection group. This is actually the Whirly Connection group. The Whirlies are actually back there, but Kendall is leading. The Worley Connection Group, meaning it's meeting in the Worley home, but Kendall is the class leader. And so this one is actually right over here on Rohero, just like a block from here. So if you live in Center Arlington, this is a great option for you. And so that's where Kendall's group will be. This is Zach Worley. His wife is Kayla. And actually, this group is not called the Worley Group. Didn't get super confused here, okay? (laughs) So it's a different Worley, but this one's actually called the Pruitt Group, okay, Uh, Bree usually plays the piano, blonde hair and uh, that is, they're meeting in their home on the west side so if you live on the west side near the airport, I believe Cecil Airport, this will be a great option for you. In fact if you live on the north side, you can shoot down 295 pretty quickly and be at this connection group depending on where you live in 15-20 minutes. So Zach will be teaching now. This is Troy Randolph. Troy is also over in East Arlington and uh, he wants to make a special invitation to any of our single adults uh, that, uh, that would like to join him he's got a great great ministry And uh, he's become a teacher at our church, a great guy. He's over in East Arlington, kind of close to where Hector's is as well. But so we have about three or four in Arlington. We have have one down in Mandarin. We have one on the west side. And we have two that meet on the church. If you're not happy yet, that's okay. Then you can teach one later at your house and sign your own house up. And that will be awesome. Okay, so let me give you this. Okay, there's two ways to do it. On your phone right now, you can go to groups on the church center app or if you really want to go old school you can go to our church website click connect and they'll be on there and if you want to go ultra old school get a connection card out it's right there in your seat back and write your name and write one of these names on there and we'll get you hooked up and in addition to that uh, of course Glennis. And others will be at the Next Steps booth right after the service to help you. If you're just like, man, I just don't know, I'm just not sure, I'm not comfortable, that's okay, we'll help you get there. Let's thank these folks for uh, volunteering to lead a connection group. You guys can find your seats, thank you. That's okay, yeah. All right, let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Mark, chapter number 14. Would you do that please? Mark, chapter number 14. Our series right now is the final days of Jesus. For three years at River City Baptist Church, we have studied the life of Jesus Christ, the single most important person to ever put feet on dirt in this earth, Jesus. We came right out of COVID in 2020, and I, I had a thought cross my mind. And the thought was, if we never got to gather again as a church, and if we only got to gather for a small period of time, or... I only had a few measured days left to live. What would I want to be preaching about? And I came to the conclusion that the only thing that's really worth talking about is Jesus, and so we were going to spend as long as we possibly could studying the life of Christ, So we're coming right down to the end. And by the way, not the end of his life, the end of his earthly life. Jesus is very much alive today and will always and forever be alive, but He came to this earth for us 2,000 years ago, lived among us for about 30 years, and we have been covering that story. Where we are in the story right now is what is called by most people Passion Week. In Passion Week, you'll start seeing some of this in the next few weeks as we lead up to Easter. In fact, next Sunday is technically Palm Sunday, which is the Sunday before Easter. It's the Sunday uh, that Jesus entered into Jerusalem for the last time when they laid palm branches down as he rode into Jerusalem as the king. Now again, we studied that a long time ago because we're in this series as we are. But in the actual preaching series, we just finished what's called the Upper Room Discourse. This is where Jesus eats the final supper with his disciples. He washes his disciples' feet. And then he teaches them a lengthy series of messages uh, on on, on his priorities for his disciples. Okay, that led us up to John 17. That was last Sunday. And, and, And in John 17, Jesus is going to breathe a word of prayer for his disciples And we looked at that last week, and we we learned last week that Jesus is praying for us. What an encouragement to know that Jesus, the Son of God, is praying for us, has prayed for us, and still is praying for us. Now, if you were to look at John 18, which we're not going to look at, uh, it says, after these things, he did this. And we're going to pick up the parallel story in Mark 14. Now, this is interesting. This next story, we call it the Garden of Gethsemane. is is recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's very unusual. Uh, Very rarely is something recorded in all four Gospels, but this is. And what basically takes place in the Garden of Gethsemane that we're going to read about in just a moment is Jesus is getting ready to be betrayed by Judas Iscariot. He's getting ready to be taken and tried as a criminal And then, the very next morning, Jesus is going to go to the cross and he's going to die for the sins of the world. That's where we're at. And in the garden, the garden of Gethsemane as it's called, Jesus faces this reality like it's never been faced before. And I want you to follow me into that garden filled with olive trees and look with me at maybe one of the most sacred places in all the Bible. Verse 32. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, that the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Somebody said, we all should be thankful that he said, nevertheless. And again, he went and prayed and spoke the same words and When he returned, he found them asleep again, but their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer him. He came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Amen. This is God's word. This morning I'd like to preach to you on the subject, lest I forget Gethsemane. For 84 agonizing years, Jenny Husley was invalid due to rheumatism. Through the course of her life, although she was physically bound and physically <clears throat> tortured. She was known to maintain a cheerful attitude throughout her entire life and used her life to compose over 150 hymns and children's stories, the most famous of which, probably the only one that you would even recognize, is an old gospel song called Lead Me to Calvary. And in the chorus of that song, it says, lest I forget Gethsemane. Lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. Now, folks, i got to tell you, this story of Gethsemane is our Savior, the Lord Jesus, approaching his impending crucifixion on the cross. And in the garden, as he prays and as he agonizes over what is getting ready to happen, Jesus is, is starting to experience what is going to happen to him as his life is going to be taken from him on the cross. This garden is just on the east side of the old city of Jerusalem. The Bible says that Jesus leaves this upper room. He walks down, no doubt, uh, just outside of the wall of the old city. He's going to cross uh, a place called the Valley of Kidron. And other texts it says they stepped over the brook of Kidron, which was the little stream of water at the bottom of that valley. When he popped up on the other side of the Kidron Valley, uh, Jesus is going to enter into a garden called Gethsemane that is on the foothill of the Mount of Olives. Now interestingly enough, the word Gethsemane literally means olive press. And so you can imagine standing in the Garden of Gethsemane, which I'm going to do in November of this coming year, standing in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, at the bottom of the hill, the Mount of Olives, This entire hillside and the garden itself is filled with luscious and productive olive trees. And as people would harvest these olives up on the Mount of Olives, they would return down to the bottom, obviously, uh, of of the Mount of Olives, and they would press the olives into the primary use of olives in Israel, which was, of course, olive oil. And there were three ways this took place in Israel. There was, first of all, the beating of the olives. You maybe have seen people make salsa in those little, uh, little kind of jars, and they take a, a little, uh, I don't even know what it's called, and they, they hammer out uh, salsa. Then they, they would do that. That one was called beaten oil. This is the kind of oil they would use to fuel the lamps in the temple. Uh, the, the, the lamp of the, uh, the seven lampstands there in, in uh, the, the, the menorah, I should say. The second way that they would do it, of course, is similar to how they would get grape juice out of grapes. They would extract it by uh, putting them into a large vat and stomping out the olives, and the oil would run out from the bottom. But the third way that that was probably used in the Mount of Olives was an old old, uh, olive press that that had a, uh, had a handle and a large stone wheel and a, and a person would move it around in a circle and inside of that container were olives that this large, uh, uh, heavy stone wheel would crush and press and once again pour out oil. And this was significant because in Israel, uh, olive oil was significantly used for multiple things. For instance, it was used for lighting. Uh, People had lights for their lamps. There obviously wasn't electricity in this day. So they they burned oil in lamps. Uh, uh, You see it was used for medicine. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan. They poured oil into the wounds of the man who was beaten there on the road that led to Jericho. Uh, It was obviously used for food. Uh, it was used to make dough, to make bread. It was used uh, uh, uh even to this day to, uh, uh, to to top vegetables or to use as, as a dipping morsel into uh, dipping bread into oil. Uh, it was It was even used uh, of course for worship, as I already mentioned. And think about this commodity. it was used in this place where one of the most precious commodities for Israel was harvested and crushed. To produce oil that sustained life, that gave worship, and that healed wounds, was the very place that our Savior was beginning to be crushed down by the weight of our sin. Right here in the olive press, to give life, to give medicine, to give healing, to give the, give His own bread, His own body for our sins. What a beautiful picture this is! That Jesus steps into this olive press about to be pressed down with the weight and the burden of the sins of the entire world. So in this garden, I want us to travel there today, and I want us to remember uh, three different ways in which Jesus Christ uh, 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 viewed the Garden of Gethsemane, three ways in which we should view it as well. Number one, uh, we should not forget the abandonment of the garden. We should not forget the abandonment of the garden. There's three scenes in this story. Scene number one is Jesus telling his disciples that they're going to forsake him, predominantly that Peter is. Scene number two is Jesus praying to his heavenly father, surrendering his will to God the Father. And Scene number three is Judas the betrayer coming in and selling out Jesus and taking him onto court. And in these three scenes, we see these three lessons to be learned. Number one is the abandonment of Gethsemane. Folks, I want you to know there was only one person, who could take on the sins of the world, and he had to do it alone, and he did do it alone, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, if you will, uh, back in uh, verse number 29, where Jesus says, excuse me, uh, uh, verse 27, Jesus said to them, All of you will will, will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet... I will not be. Be careful. Be careful to arrogantly claim something that your life cannot back up. How oftentimes do we write checks with our lips that our lives cannot cash? I'll never deny you. No way. And think about how arrogant it is when Jesus just told them, you will in fact deny me. This is not the first time Jesus, or excuse me, Peter said no to Jesus. It was not the first time Peter messed up. By the way, it's not gonna be the last time Peter messed up. And in our lives, we we find sometimes we think, we actually think we're more spiritual than we are. Listen very carefully to me today. You are one step away from doing something very, very, very tragic and foolish in your life. And Peter arrogantly proclaims this, then then Jesus says, No, no, that's actually going to happen. He says, You're 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 actually going to deny me three times this very night before that rooster crows, twice, according to verse number 30. But yet, in the middle of all this, I love this, in the middle of all this abandonment, the disciples are going to flee. In fact, they do. I believe it's in verse 50. Look at verse 50, it says, They all forsook him and fled. I mean, Jesus said this is going to happen, and it actually does happen, but listen very carefully. In the middle of it all, you see the grace of Jesus Christ, even in the midst of abandonment and failure. Notice what he says to Peter in verse number 28. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Although they were going to abandon him, he was never going to abandon them. A friend, you can be encouraged today to know that you have a Savior who never, ever, ever, ever will abandon you. He said, look, you guys are going to forsake me. You're going to mess up. You're going you're to fail me. You're going to deny me. One of you is going to betray me. But when this is all said and done, I'm going to meet you guys in Galilee, and we're going to start this party all over again. Man, i got to tell you, I find encouragement there, because if you're anything like me, you fail, and you mess up, and you sin against God. But how many of you glad to know that you cannot outsend the grace of God. I mean, today, Christ is saying to you listen, you may have messed up this week, you may have messed up this month, you may have had a bad year, you may be having a bad life. Okay? But here's one thing you can know for sure. He's always going to be waiting in Galilee for you. Always. You can always be sure that no matter what you do. And by the way, Jesus knew what they were going to do. He saw it before it ever happened. Watch this. And told them before they even messed up, I'm going to forgive you on the other side. Boy, I'm telling you, I'm glad about that today, aren't you? Aren't you glad to know that for all the times, all the times in my life, I have failed God, all the times in my life that I've struggled, that I've messed up, and I have said I've never one time, i found God treating me the same way I've treated him. And to me, i tell you this today, don't ever overestimate yourself. And don't ever underestimate your flesh. And folks, can we at least agree upon this today? Can we all at least leave here saying, I don't want to walk out on Jesus in my life. I mean, and th- think about think about think about the next stage here. It says in verse number thirty-three, he took Peter, James, and John with him. Peter, James, and John even get an extra measure of an opportunity when they are asked to go into the garden further. They got to do something the rest of the disciples didn't get to do, and yet they slept through this moment. And by the way, Peter, James, and John had amazing moments in their lives. I mean, they to go to the garden of gethsemane, I mean uh, uh the man of transfiguration, they're the ones that got to go here to the garden of gethsemane and watch Jesus pray. They're the only ones that got to go in when Jairus's daughter was raised from the dead. Well, somebody pointed out this week, Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death is a hint to what those three disciples got to see. They got to see the fellowship of his sufferings. They got to see the power of his resurrection. They got to be conformed to his death. They got to see it all. And yet, they still walked out on their savior. That's not what I want to be, folks. I don't want to be a turncoat. I don't want to be a traitor. I don't want to be a betrayer. I don't want to be a denier. I don't want to be a fledgling failing Christian missing out on everything that God has for me in my life. But thankfully, when I do fail and I know that I will, there's always forgiveness with Christ. And how about this, to take it even a step further? If he has been Abandoned, he knows what it is like to be abandoned. There's people in this room, you were abandoned by a husband or a wife who failed to keep up their end of the deal, left you and your kids high and dry. There's some kids in this room, you were abandoned by a father, you were abandoned by a mother. I'm here to tell you, I want you to listen to me very carefully Jesus was abandoned. And he suffers with you and he knows. And he can carry you through that because he knows exactly what it's like to be abandoned and to still fulfill his mission. Even though nobody went with him, he still went. I love what the songwriter says. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Are you listening to me today? I'm saying that no matter who has walked out on you in your life, that does not allow you the excuse to not fulfill what God has for you. Hey, listen, do not give somebody that kind of power in your life. Do not give somebody that walked out on you, that fired you, that quit on you, that cheated you, that left you, that did all that. Do not give them the power to ruin the rest of your life. My Savior's been there, and if he's been there, he can walk through that valley with me, he can carry me over that Jordan that I can't cross by myself I'm here to tell you friend. he's been abandoned and I can face it all because of him so we need to see and not forget the abandonment of Gethsemane, number two we need to not forget the agony of Gethsemane In verse 32, they came to the place which was named Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray watch this now, verse 33 and he took Peter and James and John with him. He began to be troubled and deeply distressed. He said to them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. And look at verse 35. He went a little further and fell on the ground. What you're experiencing right now is pain. Pain that Jesus felt. It is physical it is mental it is spiritual it is emotional you see all four of those phrases sorrowful distressed hurt then he fell I mean all the dimensions of Jesus were affected by what was happening here somebody said it like this somebody said that what Jesus was experiencing was distressing sorrowful confusion restlessness the half-distracted state that follows a great shock. In fact, the physical anguish was so great in the Garden of Gethsemane that Luke's gospel records another fact for us that sometimes is overlooked. In Luke chapter 22, verse 44, it says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And there have been medical professionals that have identified this. It is, it is possible to be under such intense stress to break literal vessels in your, in your head that when your sweat pours out, it mingles with blood and appears to be running blood out of your sweat glands. That's what was going on here. Look, I've been stressed out before, but I've never been this stressed out before. And Jesus is literally going through a moment where, where everything is caving in around him and, and everything is, is pressing in on his mind, his emotions, his spiritual life. Have you ever had something, anything close to this happen to you? It wasn't just that you were bothered by something. It's that you were being crushed by something. It's something that something was weighing in around you so heavy that you were shot, glazed over stone. You, you were there, but you weren't there. It's like yesterday, I, I was at a funeral in Pensacola. Let me tell you something, I saw this yesterday. I saw the Goings family that lost their 19 year old son at Pensacola. Missionary friends in Honduras. Their son was working out in a yard for the college. A drunk driver veered off the sidewalk and knocked that boy into eternity. His Older brother Joe Ash was also a college student that had to be the first to the hospital, identified as baby brother. Then he had to call mom and dad in Honduras and tell them their 19-year-old son was dead. Can you imagine? You ever seen somebody? Have you ever seen somebody in complete shock and complete loss? Can you imagine trying to go to customs, stand at a counter? Hold your composure when somebody's asking you what's your name and what's your birthday. And you can't even pull thoughts together about it. So I watched a dad yesterday stand in the pulpit and preach his son's funeral. That was what this is. Greatly distressed. Physically broken. Eyes glossed over. Can't even see straight. Can't even think straight. It's the pain that he felt, but, but I want you to see, what was it? What was it that caused this? I mean, you've had it in your life. There's been, there's been things that have caused great amount of stress. No, no doubt nothing like this, but what was it that Jesus is feeling pain over? And like you see, it wasn't just pain that he felt, but he felt the pain because of the cup that he faced. You see, when he goes to prayer, he starts praying, God, listen, if, if, if there's any other way to do this, if it's possible, would you let that? What's he talking about? He's talking about what's getting ready to happen, the cross. And notice the phrase that he says here. I love this phrase. It's, it's deep, friends. It's deep. He says to his heavenly father, if this cup can pass me. What was the pain? Where did the pain come from? The answer is the pain came from the cup. Friend, Jesus for the first time right here stares into a cup and what he sees in the cup shakes him and knocks him on the ground and scares him out of his mind and eliminates his physical, mental, and spiritual capacities and empties him out and scares him half to death. He looks into a cup. Let me ask you a question. What did he see in that cup? What did he see in that cup? I want to tell you what he saw. He saw two things in that cup. Number one, he saw himself being made sin for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God hath made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Did not sin. Jesus could not sin. But at Calvary, are you listening to me? At Calvary, he took on himself something that he did not deserve. Come on. He paid a debt. He didn't deserve to pay. He was looking into the face of something he had never experienced before by, by literally becoming sin for us. And because of that, he's getting ready to experience another thing in that cup related to this. And that is separation and fellowship from his father. Remember when he's on the cross what did he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Something that had not been disrupted. I'm not talking about relation. He was still God. The unity of trinity was still in I'm talking about fellowship here. I'm talking about his personal fellowship with God the Father. When Jesus became sin for you and for me, God the Father Was removed in fellowship from his son and then took his wrath and poured it out on his son for you and for me. Which is the second thing he saw. What did he see in the cup? He saw his own sin, our sin being placed on him. But listen very carefully. The second thing that he saw in that cup is he saw that he was about to drink from the dregs of God's wrath in our place. Now listen, this is very interesting. Isaiah chapter 51 says this, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord and the cup of his wrath. Jeremiah chapter 25 verse 15, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath, and all the nations will drink it. Revelation chapter 14 says, he also will drink of the wine of God's wrath. Poured full strength into the cup of his anger. Jesus, obviously as God, had long foreseen the passion. But as man, now it has become full view and its terrors exceed his expectations. Why did Jesus bleed out great drops of blood? Why did Jesus tremble and fall? Why did Jesus become greatly distressed and agonized? Listen very carefully. He was looking into a cup. The cup is a picture. What was in that cup? It was the sin, listen, it was the sin of the world mingled with the wrath of Almighty God that was getting ready to be poured out in full measure without, uh, without anything being held back All upon him. What is he agonizing over? He's agonizing his impending death on the cross. And he looks at his father and says, if there's any other way this can happen, please let it happen. Anything could happen to take away the sins of the world except for the cross. Would you allow it to happen? And then he makes this statement, nevertheless, not what I want. Because as a human, he was fully God and fully man as a human. Who would want that? Who would want to experience that? But he yielded to his heavenly father and now he's going to rise up out of that garden and he's going to be taken away out of the hands, uh, uh, out of of the garden and into the hands of the betrayer and he's going to march to Calvary just that very night after his trial and betrayal. Folks, listen, he is experiencing agony. It agonized Jesus to do this, but listen very carefully to the third part because this is really beautiful. Don't forget the affirmation of Gethsemane. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is this that although Judas betrayed Jesus and the Sanhedrin authorized the betrayal, the cross was God's plan, not man's invention. I want you to see this is several ways this is seen. First of all, in the betrayer that comes. There was a betrayer among them. Verse 43, look at it, it says this. It says, and immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve. Boy, that little phrase right there just captured me all week. One of the twelve. He was one of the chosen twelve. One among them. One who was among them but was not of them. One who went to church but was never a Christian. One who graduated from the seminary of Jesus but did not know the teacher. Boy, that ought to bother somebody in this room today that's playing church. It ought to bother somebody that, that comes on the coattails of mom and dad and it's not real for you. Hey, it's not enough to be in the crowd. You got to have a personal relationship with the Son of God. Judas was one of them and he betrayed him. Reminds me of what took place back in 2018 when a fan snuck into the Pittsburgh Steelers practice dressed as a player and wanted to check uh, Antonio Brown. Videos show him impersonating Antonio Brown before he was escorted off the field. He nearly practiced an entire practice acting like he was the Steelers' all-pro wide receiver. But I wonder how many people have snuck through the doors of a church impersonating to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. They're false disciples who hide under the pretense of legalism. Or they have been confronted with the facts about Jesus Christ but have chosen not to accept him. Him, and yet some strange way find comfort in a church. There was a betrayer among them, but listen very carefully, and this is where I'm going to land this plane. There was a God over it all. One thing that was said at the funeral yesterday that was just something I just cannot get out of my mind is the pastor, the father... Speaking about his son's death yesterday said, God had a time for my son's life. And he gave the birthday and the death date. He was just one month older than 19 years old. And he gave the dates and he said, that was God's time. He said, it would be easy for me to get mad at God. It would be easy for me to hate the person that hit my son and killed him. He said, but... Whatever way God did it, it was God's time. God's the one that put the boundary on the birthday and the death date of my son. It was a powerful moment, but I would tell you this. The cross was absolutely and in every way designed by, orchestrated by, and executed by God alone. And watch how this plays out in the text. It plays out... Uh, in, in, in immediate words being filled. I mean, back in verse 27, he says, with certainty, the disciples are going to scatter. And guess what? They scattered. Even so much that it was going to fulfill scripture over in Zechariah chapter 13. Then in verse 30, he with certainty says, Peter, you're going to deny me. And that happens in just a few short moments. But not only that, in addition to the immediate prophecies being fulfilled, you see Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7 is fulfilled. Psalm 88, verse 8 is fulfilled. The Bible says, in fact, in fact, look if you will, at the very end, in verse number 49, or let me, let me go to verse 48. Have you come out as against me as, as, as a robber with swords and clubs to take me? Watch this. I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but the Scriptures... Must be fulfilled. The scriptures must be fulfilled. Guys, this was all in God's plan. The scripture from start to finish is about Jesus. It's about his death. It's about his burial. It's about his resurrection. Maybe Isaiah 53 is in mind here. Maybe when it says he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. And then Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6 when it says, All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is why 1 Corinthians 15 says this, I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. It looked like a tragedy to man, but it was God's divine plan. And folks, that is the lens through which we should be viewing every single part of our lives. Nothing that ever happens in your life is out of God's control. It is under his fulfillment. It is under his affirmation. If it is God's will, it will be done. And so, what should we be saying? Not my will, but yours be done. But then, in a more powerful way, I think... It is the culmination of human history. And please don't miss this, folks. Everything that has been done for 6,000 years of human history is what we're going to look at next week when we go to Calvary together. Do you realize that for, 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 for hundreds and thousands of years, the prophets and the preachers and Moses and everybody in between has been saying the Messiah is going to come, the Messiah is going to die, the Messiah is going to rise again. And here we are, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Folks, I'm here to tell you, There is one thing God, above all things, wants you to know, and that is this. He loves you. He died on the cross in your place, a death and judgment that you deserved. He rose again the third day from the dead and stands in heaven today as the victor of life, as the eternal living God, and today he offers salvation to anyone who would believe. That's his plan. That's his plan. That's his plan for you. That's his plan for me. That's his plan for everyone. So today, you can open up your heart. You can receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you can learn the lessons from the garden that God would have you to learn. Let's stop and pray if we could. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, our prayer today is that you will bless our gathering, our our worship, our, our now the receiving of your word. God, I pray that you will help us to receive and to to be in step with your plan. And God, this is your will. What happens in the garden is your will. God, help us not to forsake you or abandon you and help us in our abandonments not to feel as if you've abandoned us because you never have. Lord, help us to drink deep from this text this week. As you're sitting here bow before the Lord, I want to encourage you. If you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and you do not know for certain if you were to die that you would go to heaven, I want to give you an opportunity right here and right now to accept and believe the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says if you will call upon his name, if you will believe on him, you can be saved. I remember in May of 1997 when I bowed my head and lifted up my voice and prayed to God and asked him to be my Lord and Savior. And from that very moment to now, I have an absolute certainty that Jesus is my Savior for 26 years. And guess what? For the rest of eternity, he will be my Savior. It started in a moment and lasts forever on the day that I accepted him. And if you've never done that, I want to invite you to do that right now. Just right there in your seat where you are, you can lift up your heart. You can pray. You can ask Jesus to be your Savior. And if you would like to do that, I, I, I can help you with that. Just pray. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You can pray it out loud. You can pray it in your heart. Would you say, dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I do not deserve to go to heaven. But I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for me and rose again. Today I accept him as my only Lord and Savior. Thank you for loving me. Help me never to be ashamed of you. I wonder if anybody in the room today said preacher. I just prayed that prayer a minute. I'm glad I did. I just accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I'm so thankful for that. And I want you to know, preacher, I did that, and I'd appreciate you praying for me. So anybody like that? Just lift your hand up so I can see it. Preacher, I did that. Amen. Bless you. It's good. Who else? Preacher, I prayed. I just prayed that prayer a minute. I'm glad I did. I'm thankful that Christ is now my Savior and that I can have eternal life through him. Would you all stand with me uh, for a closing word of prayer? I want to ask the Dow family and the Beggs family to come. If you will, they're going to be coming members of our church today. So thankful for what God is doing in our church, in our lives. We just keep seeing people come that want to be a part of what the Lord's doing here. and I'm thankful for this, uh, these families. Uh, we have um, Ken and Krista Dow over here. They moved to Jacksonville recently and uh, for, for years we're missionaries. Uh, in Nicaragua, and we're thankful that God brought them here, and uh, and I'm excited to see what God's going to do through them. This is uh, Larry and Debbie Beggs and their daughter, Becca. They're all coming today. Uh, moved from Texas, right? Am I right about that? Washington. Oh, goodness. Not even close. Yeah. Te- te- yeah, you guys are from Texas. I I, could, I mean, I might as well have said Montreal. I mean, I was, I was so far off. Goodness gracious. We've talked about that like 10 times, yeah. But I'm so excited God brought them here, moved them in, right in here to our community, been to our church, visit our church. They've all been saved. They've all been baptized. They all have been to our new members orientation. And uh, today they've come to join River City Baptist Church. I need a motion to receive them. And made second at all in favor, say amen. amen. Welcome to the family. <laughs> so here's what I'd like us to do. I'd like us to uh, come today. You might want to come and pray and say thank you, Jesus, for the garden. You may want to come and pray about whatever feeling of abandonment or struggle that you've been going through. That's fine. You may need to be saved. You can come. I'd be glad to talk to you. But we can all come and pray with our new family members. Okay? So I'm going to ask um, if uh, Julie will play right now. And we're just going to end this time with some prayer time before Hector comes. So come on. Let's come and pray. You can at least come and pray with them. And let's, uh, let's respond and pray with our new church members. Ask God to use them and help them. And if you've got something else you want to pray about, the, the altars are open. And uh, if you need Jesus in your life, let us know. We'd be glad to talk with you and help you with that. Just have your own word of prayer, and then uh, we'll have Hector come and close us in just a moment.